what I typically see and I've experienced is that food prep and conscious eating because it takes more to eat healthier. It takes more energy. It takes more intentionality. That typically is what falls in the crack, right? Because right. we just reach for something because we are pressed for time. But I have made that mistake. And the result is that you feel terrible. Your energy goes down. You compromise your immune system. You get sick. You delay your training. Right. If you can take the time, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So the big question is this, how are runners like us who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Melody Dowlern, who's the host of the She Runs Trails podcast about trail running, recovery, and injury prevention when training. So Melody, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's so exciting to be on this side of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know you've got your own show. And so you really um, imagine you're spending a lot of time interviewing others, but not really so much giving interviews. Um, but I'm really excited to have you here today. And with everything I know about you, I know you're going to be able to provide a lot of valuable stuff for all of our listeners. And before we get into those questions, maybe just give us a little bit of background about your running history, uh, why you became interested in trail running and ultras and all that. Sure. You know, I, I was one of those um, runners who started not because I ran in school. I was not a collegiate runner, but I found running kind of as therapy. Mm -hmm. I was a very young single mother and trying to put myself through college, live on my own, raise a child. I discovered running as a means to decompress and um, really just helped me get all my thoughts in order. And, you know, running just soon became a way to escape just for a little while find my calm, recenter, And over time, I found that running really empowered me. Mm. So I, I came to running just because I needed it yeah. rather than, you know, and then, I, and then I, I grew to love it. But honestly, you know, and I ran, and I was never really a racer. I never entered into like 5Ks or half marathons. That was never even on my grid. And a lot of people are surprised by that. But I was truly just the process runner who just runs you know, to escape, who just runs to be alone, and was really like the lone neighborhood runner for most of my life. Wow. And um, I decided at one point that I was kind of tired of running alone, like after I had been running for about, I don't know, 18, 19 years, right. and thought, hey, I know there's other runners out there. Maybe, you know, I should find them. You know, maybe that would be kind of nice to run in a community. And so, <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a novel thought, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, there's a community of runners. And so, you know, I, I took a local running class here in Amarillo, not because I needed to learn how to run per se, because I had mm -hmm. been running, you know, since I was 17, but because I wanted to find people. And so it was through that decision to take a running class that I discovered, you know, hey, there are runners and I, I know some, I have friends now <laughs> and I have people to run with. And so through that community, I began to sign up for races and, you know, that led me to trails and then yeah, it's just, um, it's been an adventure ever since. Yeah. Well, I mean, bring up a good point. You know, a lot of um, runners, they kind of pigeonhole themselves into one of a few categories. And we, you know, many runners, we often think of ourselves as either short course runners or endurance runners or something like that. And uh, some think they're just road runners or just trail runners. And I think a lot of road runners for lots of different reasons, think they aren't built for trails. You know, yesterday I was thinking about this. I was running on a trail and 
Um, and I was sort of thinking about how, you know, once you run a lot of trails, you realize that you get this extra level of fitness because the trails are so uneven. And uh, I was running down this fairly unstable, you know, kind of um, technical, I guess, really steep section. And I realized that like, during the periods when I was just doing lots of road running, that would have been really, really difficult. And I was thinking about how I was running down there. And if I had been in that period where I was just doing road running, I would have been concerned that I would actually pull something in my back or get injured in some way because your core isn't really getting that much stability work when you're running on the road versus running on trails. And, you know, and it does kind of evolve, but anybody can run anywhere. And yes. as I understand it, you actually started running trails a lot later than some people. So how old were you when you started running trails and what really got you into it? Well, I was 40. So yes, I came to trail running very late in the game. And, you know, being a lone runner for so many years and not really in the running community per se, whether in my city or even online, like not yeah. even realizing the depth of what the running community is. The concept of trail running never even crossed my mind, which now is bizarre to me because I love running and I love hiking. Right. Why would I ever think that, hey, there's a thing called trail running? So in my local um, trail class that I took to find runners, the instructor was a trail runner. And she began mm -hmm. to talk about running in the Paladero Canyon, which is Hello. where our trail system is here in Amarillo. And I was immediately intrigued. You know, I was like, well, what's that? Whoa, there's, there's people who do this thing? And what is this about? And I want to do it too. And so literally... I took off the next day wow. and I didn't even wait. I just went, got my park pass and I just took off running. So, like by yourself? Yeah, totally. I totally, and because it, that's my personality. I love a challenge and um, I've never looked back. And so that yeah. has taken me through several trail races and then recently my very first ultra mm -hmm. in, in Antelope Canyon. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, so uh, I know that you do get to spend a lot of the time uh, on trails around Amarillo and sometimes Colorado. Uh, and within all that you you like you said you've been become super active in your local community with a, a group or a community of women trail runners as well so what can you tell us about you know for somebody like you who's been kind of this lone runner you know running on your own just training on your own and all that when you make that shift and you realize okay and so maybe that'll happen now for some people i mean there's a kind of enough isolation for everybody right now and what would you tell them about how they could find a community of trail runners or even road runners or whatever, um, you know, locally when they make that shift? Good. That's a good question. And, you know, for me, I just, I knew that there had to be runners and I knew that it might be more fun. And I'm just going to say right now, it is way more fun to run with other people. There's definitely a place for running by yourself and you don't have to give that up, but mm -hmm. there is such a power and an empowerment and a camaraderie in a family sense when you find your group of runners. And so I looked, you know, I would say go to your local running shop. Yeah. If you, because they're always, that's probably your best source. If you have a local running club, reach out to them, yeah. you know, Google what running clubs are available in your, in your city. And you know, not every club is going to be right for you. It right. does take time because you know, each running group kind of has a different dynamic and right. you have to find yours. So if I would encourage you, if the first group that you reach out to, are you, it, maybe it doesn't work out. Keep looking because they're out there, you know, and I've had a lot of my listeners have said, you know what, there is no road running community. There is no trail running community in my community. I can't find anyone. Right. And to that, I would say, you know what, be the change that you want to see. If you right. want to run a group, start one, you know, yeah. start with two women, create a Facebook group, look for those people in your community, reach out to other runners when you pass them on the road. You know, there are ways to connect 
and maybe you have to go outside of the box and do it in an unconventional way, but you can find community if you really want it. And if you absolutely can't find it, then start your own community because there's also a great organization that I speak to a lot called Trail Sisters. Granted, it's a, it's a female <laughs> dominant, it's, it's, it's for women, but they are also a great resource. Yeah. Um, they have all of their chapters available on their website. And so you can go and see, and you can also partner with them and start your own local Trail Sisters chapter as well. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And, you know, and I saw somebody recently was talking about a woman was talking about how um, during this period of isolation, when she was out running on trails, she actually felt more alone and more unsafe than usual because nobody is there. And it seems weird, you know, running through this kind of like, you know, desolation when nobody yeah. else is out. But the truth is when nobody else is out, you're probably actually safer <laughs> in some respects. Um, but, you know, I, th I think it's true. It's like, you know, if you think about college, right, you go to, you sign up for classes, you go to class, you don't know anybody. And out of 20 or 30 people in each class, most of them will probably not be people you want to be friends with. They're just not going to be, they don't have the same kind of personality, but there's almost always at least one person that you can get along with everywhere. And just because we're all runners, it doesn't mean we're all going to get along and have the same kind of personalities and the same interests. And I've done the same thing. I've been involved in a bunch of different running clubs and, and all those kind of things. And there's always a couple of people that, you know, we really get along really well. And I've been friends many, many years with some of those people. And there are others in the group that I'm just don't really, you know, get along with them as well for whatever reasons, but it's just interpersonal relationships. It's no different in a running group than it is at work or at school or anything else. And it's a little crazy to think that just because somebody wears running shoes, you're going to be aligned with them in so many different ways. Uh, you know, but it is, I think, extremely helpful to be able to find a running group because not only do you have camaraderie and the social interaction and all that goes along with that, but it also gives us a source of information. You know, yes. if you obviously when you start running trails, like there's a lot of different things that you can do that maybe will fit your running style and some things that won't. Like if you're just switching from roads to trails, it's probably better if you live someplace flat that you go with people who can show you some trail runs that are relatively flat and that are not very technical. So you can get used to running on changing surfaces um, before you start adding hills and sloping surfaces and you know, ruts where the, the trails washed out and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you get that from your friends, right? And yep. I think you also from those running groups can get a lot of information from people about how to recover faster and how to avoid injury and what to do when you get some minor injury and uh, how you can keep running even when you have those things. So along those same lines, I'd like to see what your thoughts are around some of the things that really help people recover when training, because I know you did, uh, you did, uh, you did antelope, right? The, yes. the ultra. Um, and so it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of forethought to really train for something like antelope Canyon. Um, it's not an easy race, obviously it's a long race and you have to be prepared for it. And to get prepared for it, you not only have to run, but you have to train a lot and make sure you don't get injured. And that means that you have to recover as fast as possible after each one of those individual workouts that all pile up to give you the fitness you need to complete something like Antelope Canyon. So, you know, I really think that sleep's the most abundant and most underutilized resource available to runners in training. So for you, you know, do you do anything in particular with sleep to make sure you recover faster when you're in training for an event like that? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I'm an eight hour girl and I know that I have to have eight hours to function. That's just on a normal non-training schedule. That's just who mm -hmm. I am and that's what I need. And I know there's so many conversations about how much do you need? How much do you right. not need? Right. But the thing is your body knows. And if you can listen to your body, it will tell you if you are tired, you need more sleep. And that right. is so much more true in a training cycle. You know, so I, I would probably sleep nine hours when I was training yeah. and I would make room for that. And that, that only happens if you're intentional, you know, yeah. you set up your schedule so that it creates the nine hours of sleep and you have to be more intentional with your daylight hours, you know, right. so you're not behind. And also I think naps are really crucial. You know, at two o'clock, if I'm tired, I don't have time for an hour nap, but I can do a 15 minute recharge, but my body is telling me I'm tired. I need a few minutes. And so I try to honor that as best as I can. And I know that's, that's going to look different for everyone, but right. listen to what your body is telling you. It's smart. It's intelligent. It's looking out for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some interesting studies from a long time ago that looked at sleep patterns and we're discussing with the kids recently when they were talking about, you know, going to sleep when it's daylight or when it's dark and, and, you know, we're talking about how the, the, what actually happens with daylight hours, like how, you know, the planetary bodies rotate and create these things we call light and time. And that, you know, there were, there were studies where these sort of like light deprivation studies with sleep patterns where they took a bunch of normal people and enrolled them. And those who um, were sleep deprived, the initial days would sleep a lot, like, you know, way more than eight hours when they were putting these, you know, many day scenarios of uh, no daylight at all uh, to try to remove, you know, the, the outside sunlight as a, and something that encourages when you sleep and the, your sleep winds up pretty well aligned with daylight versus nighttime hours. Once you get caught up on sleep, whether you can see the daylight or not. So I think you're right. That just speaks to that idea that you said about how, um, you know, your body is smart, right? Your body knows what you need. It knows when you need to sleep and it knows when you need to recover more. And when you're doing more tissue damage as a consequence of training and you're trying to get stronger, you have to give it that sleep to, uh, let that tissue rebuild because it's not going to rebuild while you're working or while you're training. It re re rebuilds when you're sleeping. That's it. It's just that simple. Now, you know, once you did uh, Antelope Canyon, I mean, that's a big event. And I know a lot of people, they think so much about the training and so much about the event that most people, I don't think really develop a plan for what they're going to do after. And I've been guilty of this, you know, many, many years of doing a bunch of Ironman races and trail races and stuff. And I, I think about the event and all that. And when the event's over, I basically just sort of like collapse and have not in large part, truthfully, have not had a very, very deliberate plan about what to do afterward, except for some exceptions. But what about you? Once an event is over, you know, a lot of athletes just take time off. But again, recovery is an active process. And if you really think about it, there's no more important time to recover in an active and intentional way than right after you do some huge event. And there are a lot of things that we can do to speed up recovery after those kind of events. And obviously maintaining solid nutritional habits to rebuild the tissue and refuel after a big event like Antelope Canyon, um, you know, or some big training block as you ramp up for an event like that, you know, what would you say to the, all of those listening right now who might be in training for a long event? What's your best single piece of advice regarding nutrition to help people recover faster, uh, keep training and avoid injury for those kind of events? You know, real food, real food, yeah. real food. you know, and I'm not going to advocate one diet, one eating style, because that's, so, that's such a personal 
decision and a choice and, and diet is almost the new religion, if you will. Yeah. Stay away from that. But as long as you're eating, you're consuming real foods that have energy that are not over processed, mm -hmm. your body is going to recover so much faster. And, and the contradiction here is that when you spend all this time training, because it is a huge time commitment, right? And we still have our families and our friends and our jobs. What I typically see and I've experienced is that food prep and conscious eating because it takes more to eat healthier. It takes more energy. It takes more intentionality. That typically is what falls in the crack, right? Because right. we just reach for something because we are pressed for time. But I have made that mistake. And the result is that you feel terrible. Your energy goes down. You compromise your immune system. You get sick. You delay your training. Right. If you can take the time, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you yeah. will take the time and really adhere to real foods, however that looks like for you and consume high quality, high quality food. When you go to the grocery store, I always like to, you know, look at my basket. 80% of it should be food that it's, it's primal state mm -hmm. so food that has not been packaged processed. And I know we know that. And, you know, this conversation has been going on. This narrative has been playing out. Most of us are very health conscious, especially if you're a trail runner, you probably are already doing those things, but there is kind of a, um, it's just kind of tempting sometimes to just grab a snack that says healthy and yeah. consume those kind of calories, but it really does make a difference in how you recover, how you don't recover. Yeah. That's such great advice. And there's a guy I saw, it's a more boy with the whole long story, but basically he, um, owns crab fishing boats and, um, many years ago, not that many years ago, but less than 10 years ago, he had a heart attack and then he shifted his diet and everything. And he's been extremely healthy since. And, and we were talking one day and I said, well, what, what is really, I mean, I know you're a fisherman, so I assume you just eat lots of fish stuff. He said, well, it depends. I, you know, pay a lot of attention to mercury content. I will not eat certain things. He said, you know, we only eat crab a few times a year. Uh, we, even though he, that's his whole business. Um, but he said, he said, the simplest thing I can tell you is if man made it, you shouldn't eat it. Yes. And it's really simple. And you're right. So when you look at your shopping cart and 80% of the stuff in your shopping cart is stuff that some, you know, somebody did not actually produce on an assembly line and then package for you. That's a pretty safe bet. Right. Yeah. So what about your sort of like secret weapons? I've heard lots of different athletes talk about this, you know, what they think of as their secret weapons, something that really, you know, helps them recover faster. And you already mentioned naps and some people get massages. Some people it's like their secret sort of smoothie recipes that ensure they get all these nutrient rich, um, you know, influx at least once a day. Uh, do you have any secret weapons or strategies that, you know, you think help you recover faster and decrease your risk of an overtraining injury? For sure. I would have to say, of course, naps, honoring, you know, my sleep needs. But in addition to that, I am a power smoothie girl. So every morning I drink a huge smoothie and I throw all yeah. the things in it. Yeah. And I don't, I resist the temptation to add a lot of supplements to that smoothie. Mm -hmm. And I know like there's this constant conversation around how much protein do we need? Do we not need healthy fats? But that first smoothie, I try to keep it as pure as possible. Yeah. as undiluted with supplements. It is like bananas, frozen cherries, frozen blueberries, papaya, mango, spirulina, you know, yeah. seaweed. I just dump it all in there. Yep. Down it. So if everything else goes to crap during the day, I got that smoothie down, right? And right. I feel like, and I, I, I visualize that feeding my muscles, feeding my body, you know, being nu nutritious and healthful and just very conscious about what I put in my body and grateful for it. And you know, don't just slurp it down while I'm doing other things, but I really like to add a component of just intentionality and consciousness to what I do. 
and make the connection that this is good food, this is healthy for me, so my body begins to crave it. And that's, you know, that's a big piece of, of just raising your body awareness and knowing what your body wants. Mm-hmm. Just going through your daily routines a little slower and paying attention to how you feel, what your body's telling you. So I think that's a big, a big component of my success um, as far as, you know, not being injured and not delaying my training. And then also I, I really adhere to a protocol called the melt method by Sue Hintzman. It's mm-hmm. not a super popular, I mean, not a lot. There's a lot of people, interestingly enough, who don't know about her, her protocol, but it's in a nutshell, it's, it's a fascial rehydration and release. And if I faithfully melt, that's what it's called melting. But when I melt two to three times a week and I get, you know, honor my sleep needs, get my proteins, my vegetables, fruits, my smoothie, you know, whole nutrition. I I typically don't find myself in a place of being sick or injured. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, you have to listen to your body too. And, uh, you know, it's taken a long time, but over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've gotten really good about paying attention to that. And I've had this, and I've I've actually experimented with it over and over. And, you know, I've had uh, a number of sort of like the beginnings of what are a, a bunch of different overtraining kind of injuries, but I recognize them for what they are because that's what I do all day. You know, I work with runners. I talk to runners all day about what their injuries are and what it means, you know, either by phone or webcam. So I've gotten, you know, pretty attuned to what those things are when they first begin, just based on, you know, many years of talking to runners who are getting these overtrained injuries. But from that stuff, I've taken this and I've, I've learned that, you know, when I'm in these big blocks of training, I'll have these days where I'll wake up and during the day I'll feel like I'm about to get sick. And it's always when I'm in heavy training mode, you know, because your immune system is depleted, your immune system is being taxed to rebuild all this tissue. And then you get exposed to something, you're about to get sick. And I have experimented with it on at least a dozen occasions where I'm like, okay, well, let's just see, I'm going to either train or not train today. And if I, and all of the occasions where I basically recognize that sensation of like, it feels like I'm about to get sick and I skip my workout that day, just completely take it off the counter, cross it off. Like I did it. Um, I will not get sick. And on all of the occasions, every single one where I've like, Oh, forget it. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go run 16 miles today, or I'm going to go ride 70 miles today. I would get sick like every single time. And you know, and then there have been times like critical times where I did not listen to that, where I, uh, I, I basically was ramping up for the Ironman World Championships and uh, I ended up getting pneumonia right before I left for Hawaii. Like literally the day before I was leaving for Hawaii, I was getting a chest x-ray and my doctor's like, you have pneumonia. And it was one of those things where I was like, this is the World Championships. I'm just going to have to ignore this. Well, that was a horrible, horrible idea, obviously. Like nobody wants to do a race like that with pneumonia, but that's what I was stuck with because I made a bad decision because I ignored that sense you're talking about. Um, And it's not so easy, but you know, that's the thing is we have to make really good decisions. We're ramping up for those things and you have to make really good decisions afterward too. So I know that a lot of people, like I said before, were not really intentional, at least I wasn't in large part for many, many years about what to do after the event. Um, but what do you do? What do you do you know, when you have done a big event like Antelope Canyon? Do you have a plan? Do you, do you plan it out in advance? What do you do to recover after you finish a really long trail race uh, or a long trail run? That's a great question. And I'm actually in the middle of this now. You know, I, 
I'd like to give myself a month off and not a month off from running, but a month off from being tied to a training schedule. Because for me personally, I need that mental break, you know, and and to bring it back to the community of your runners, your running friends, this is a great time to reach out to those running friends that you were isolated from because they weren't training with you. And it's a good time to reconnect. And then just to simply run for the joy of running. You know, yeah. for the process of running and not for the end product, which is the race or, you know, whatever you're training for. Mm-hmm. And so I like to take a month off, disconnect, not even look at a train, try not to even look at my watch. Right. I do shoot, like I need to get maybe 20 miles a week to keep my, you know, my levels of fitness up and to stay moving and to be healthy. But just take all of the parameters away, have the freedom of running and then, you know, segue back into maybe a smaller race or because we're all better with a plan and we're all better with (laughs) structure in our life because then we're just not out there dangling you know maybe we will run and maybe we won't so i think plans are good but i think it's also good to take a break and to just remember why you like to run in the first place you know take the pressure off and the work off so that's what i'm doing right now but my time's about up and i'm gonna get back on a plan (laughs) yeah no that's great but it's tough to do right it's not really easy um you know after those events to take time off seriously and it's it's fascinating like i think that um you know i mean i i did 15 ironman races and i think it's almost like a pathology in that group and over and over and over i go do these races i mean you just did an ironman it's a long race right it's a hard event and and i would see at least a hundred if not a few hundred people literally the morning after the race going out for runs. You can tell that they race, their numbers are still on them. Um, they're sunburned, you know, and they're like taking off for a bike ride or a run. And that is not a good idea. And, and I think it's, it's true. It's like this whole thing of you're so used to being tied to a schedule. And I actually started uh, when I'm in some period where I'm really trying to disconnect from that and rest to do exactly what you say. I try to, you know, connect with friends that people I don't normally run with and see if I can run with them. Uh, and yesterday on this trail run, we were talking, uh, and I, and for this one period where I was trying to qualify for Ironman Hawaii for almost 10 years, I never, almost never, like literally probably a dozen times in the entire period, did I actually go do training runs with other people because I was so specific on, okay, my mile repeats have to be exactly this pace, you know, my, um, my, you know, tempo runs, my long runs, everything has to be in this exact window. And I was incredibly intolerant of any deviation from what I thought was my ideal plan. And that is not really good. And so I think when you have that kind of, you know, people call it dedication, I call it intolerance. And, um, you know, in a way that's almost pathologic because it's not really a healthy thing to do. It works. It gets you to a specific goal, but it also does so at the expense of all your friends too, because you don't get to spend time with them. But, um, you know, it's really hard. And I actually started like trying to run with other friends and I would try to run without my Garmin. Um, that also is like almost as difficult as leaving the house without your cell phone. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It just does not feel right. And uh, like I always run with a road ID. And if I run even with people and I do not have my road ID or I don't have my Garmin, it just feels wrong. And it is really, there's something about it that's just really to not be able to look and see what your pace is all the time is tough. Just like not checking your cell phone when you're hanging out with friends. It's very difficult sometimes. Um, so it's, uh, you know, these little schedules, these things we get tied to that keep us on track. It's great to be signed up for events and 
They definitely keep us motivated and moving toward things. Uh, but there's a lot of chaos with that right now. You know, there's a race we were going to do, um, the Broken Arrow Sky Race, course canceled. Um, that one is in uh, June, I guess. Um, and all those things are being canceled, right? Or postponed. So what about you? Um, were you signed up for something and uh, was that canceled? Or do you have a goal race, something that you're kind of working toward or thinking about right now? Well, I had signed up for the Caprock Canyon 25K, which is a Texas race um, about an hour away from the Paladero Canyon. And of course, it was it's put on by Ultra Expeditions. It was mm -hmm. canceled. I think they're planning for May 30th. Okay. So my, my idea when I signed up for that was, well, a 25K will still keep me running, but it's definitely not the 55K that I did in Antelope Canyon. So right. again, that's, you know, races are canceled everywhere. But, you know, it's interesting because the struggle that you're seeing with these runners are people who were in the middle of their training cycle and who were planning for their ultra. And they had, and not to diminish the hard work, because I would have been so frustrated had my race been canceled being my first ultra after I had put in five months of training and blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice. So I get that. But what's really interesting is it's everybody seems so lost without their training plan. And I, and, and I understand, like I'm not diminishing that frustration and that anguish like that's, that's real, but we're trail runners. We're runners. Yeah. So go to your just default running mode where you, why did you start running? You know, in the sense of joy and the sense of empowerment that you just find from the simplicity of a good run, but it's hard. We're in a hard place. Yeah. And um, it's, but true. it's telling to see how you respond. Yeah. You know, I think that really shows you where you're strong and where you mm -hmm. need support because running is not just physical. We know it's, it's emotional and it's mental. And those are other components that you have to address definitely in a training cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And you know, and it's hard too, because it's like, everybody's different and all those events mean different things to different people, you know, like for the, for, you know, and it can be really, really hard. Right. I mean, I, but it's not that bad. I mean, I also, you know, one of the races that I had that was canceled this, I mean, it was um, not great. It was uh, Ironman Lake Tahoe. And you know, there are all the fires here during that time. And even on the way up there, it was this incredible black cloud on the horizon as I was driving to Tahoe. And I just thought they can't possibly do this race. You know, you have to get there like almost a week in advance for all of the, you know, registration, sign in, all this other stuff. And we went out on a, you know, with some of my tri club people, we went on a short bike ride and you literally on this ride, you literally could not see middle of the day, the next light post because the smoke was so thick. And I was like, there is no way they can let people go 140.6 miles in this. Like people are going to die, you know? And yet they still kept saying, oh, we think the wind is going to shift. We think it's going to be okay. And we all were in our wetsuits standing on the beach and they canceled the race 10 minutes before the scheduled start. And we had to take a bus to the start. So it was absurd, you know, that they did that. And I don't know why they did that, but you know, the fact that they're actually canceling events far in advance now is certainly better than that scenario because that was a huge waste of time, you know, renting a house in Lake Tahoe and just money down the drain, basically. I mean, it was not a vacation because nobody wanted to go outside. Nobody would go sit in the hot tub, you know? Right. And um, so it, it is, it could be worse, I suppose, but it could always be worse. And that doesn't diminish the anxiety and the, the sort of, you know, this lost sensation that so many people have right now without their events and not knowing when, if, or when those events will be back on the calendar. Cause a lot of people are sort of saying, okay, it's canceled. 
but maybe just deferred to a later date. We're going to see if we can secure another time and permits and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it's extremely difficult for the race organizers as well. Um, you know, but it could be worse. There was another, uh, it was the, I don't know, it was a 50 K trail race in Marin. Um, and, uh, and it was canceled because of fires, uh, a year or two ago. And that one, same thing. They tried to tell everybody it was going to go on. And, uh, and basically we decided we're not going. And then they canceled it that morning. And that is worse, you know, for people who have to come in from out of town and then the race is just canceled. That'd be terrible. So, you know, in that respect, it is better that people are being more responsible and canceling them way more in advance now, but it does leave us kind of stranded. I think it's a good suggestion you have about people trying to just reconnect to that actual sense of like, why did you actually start running in the first place? Why do you really like to run? Is it really because you have to clock times and put them on your calendar and post them on Strava? Or is it because you actually really enjoy being outside in the canyon on a trail, enjoying a really amazing day? You know, and you can have those days whether people are around you or not, and whether you have a bib or not. So, uh, I think it's really, really good advice. So, um, all right, let's talk some more about she runs trails, right? So, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think everybody should listen to your podcast. We're going to have links in the show notes and all that. But for people who haven't listened to she runs trails, what can you tell us about it? Sure, she runs trails is a podcast for what I call the back of the pack and the mid pack gals. You know, it's the place for us who will never be the, the star trail runner, you know, the ultra athlete, and not to diminish those women and what they've done for the sport, but there are so many more who don't fall into that category. And mm -hmm. the podcast is really just to kind of help us connect with our inner warrior to empower women, you know, and to validate their trail running experience. Yeah. We're trail runners, no matter what shape we are, no matter what our, you know, our Garmin tells us at the end of our run. No matter whether we're running ultras or we're just running a mile or two with friends, you're still a trail runner and your experience is still valid and there's a place for you on the trail. So I really wanted to create a community of just real everyday moms and college students, you know, professional women who don't see themselves necessarily, you know, represented on social media because most of the fuss and the hype is around, you know, those who are breaking records and doing great things and kudos to them. But what about the rest of us who we have experiences and we bring really cool things to the table. I mean, within my running community, there are so many women. There is such a collective story of experience, of history, you know, and perspective and insight. And if I can see that in the 12 women that I run with here and there, how much more is there, you know, among us all? And so really it was just to create the community that I longed for when I first started running. And I think it's really um, helped a lot of women and so many women have identified and reached out to me and said, thank you so much for giving us a platform, a place to be relevant mm -hmm. and to be validated and just to feel like we're, we're good enough where we are right now in our trail running journey. No, that's fantastic. I mean, it is true, right? And it's interesting how, you know, truthfully, I think social media has made this a lot worse, you know, where it seems like if you're not, you know, airborne in the Alps on some trail, you know, running six minute miles for 50 miles, you know, you feel like you're less than in some way. And that's one of the great things about running. No matter how fast you go, 50 miles is 50 miles. 50K is 50K. 55K is 55K. It doesn't matter how fast you finish. And the very first marathon I ever did, I'll never forget this. There was um, the award ceremony, like in the convention center where they had all the food and all that kind of stuff afterward. And they had, they brought on stage the first place and last place finishers of the entire event. 
That's so they awesome. had this guy who was an Ethiopian guy that, you know, had a really thick accent, barely spoke English and who ran, you know, like two hours and 13 minutes or something. <laughs> and they had this woman that ran like six hours and something. And she was the official last finisher and they had them on there and they just said, these are, you know, both marathon runners. And, and the, the announcer, he said, you know, are the, is there any question each of you would like to ask the other? And he handed the mic to the woman and she just said, I just want to know how you can run that fast. <laughs> and, you know, and everyone laughed. And then he handed the phone to the Ethiopian guy and he said, I just want to know, how can you run for that long? <laughs> and, but it's, you know, it's true. We're all runners. And um, when I actually did my first marathon, I actually really didn't still think of myself as a real runner because I wasn't running fast, you know, right. at least not as fast as I thought I could or anything else. And I was in the airport and I was sitting on the floor and, and this guy, you know, our flight was delayed and some guy started talking to me and he said, well, you know, where are you going? Where, where were you or whatever? And I said, well, I just ran a marathon and, and he, and he was a runner as well. And he, his wife came over and she sat down and he said, Hey, I want you to meet somebody. This is Chris. He's a marathon runner. You know, and like, that's the thing is we all have to encourage each other. You never know where somebody is in their journey and you really know, never don't know how important it is to them that they could have just accomplished that trail run or that first three mile run or anything. And it, you know, you don't have to be an elite runner for it to be meaningful. Um, and it can be meaningful to all of us in different ways. And certainly getting to have these new experiences like trail running is huge. And um, and it's very different from road running. It's very different from running on a track. It's very different from running in your neighborhood. And I know you wrote a book about that to help people make that transition. Uh, so what can you tell us about the beginner's guide to successful trail running? You know, who did you <laughs> write it for? And, and what will people accomplish when they get that book? Sure. I actually, I wrote the book for me, truth be told, uh, you know, because I just take off and do everything and then I process it later. So I made a lot of mistakes when I took off trail running, mm. literally the next day I heard about it. And, you know, I did a lot of things wrong and I injured myself. And so then I realized I should look for resources, but there's not a whole lot of resources. I didn't find much that <laughs> helps you transition. Like I had all these questions and then I had some veteran trail running friends, but I didn't want to be the one girl that's just constantly asking questions. So which is, it's fine to do that. You really should ask your veteran trail running friends questions. They love to talk about it, but I just wanted to know so many things. And so I learned by trial and error. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know, it'd be so nice if there was a simple, concise resource that spoke to the fundamentals of trail running in a straightforward, non-fussy, non-complicated way so people can make the transition with confidence and without injuring themselves and saving money and not going out and purchasing a bunch of unnecessary stuff, mm -hmm. you know, making one-time investments on the things that you will need and use for the next 10 years and leaving the rest alone. So that's what it does. It serves the beginning trail runner who is transitioning from the road to the trails and it helps him or her, you know, be wise. It talks about, speaks to trail safety, the right type of shoes, what gear must you have? What can you wait on? All those different things, recovery, nutrition, in a very simple, not overwhelming. It's not, right. it's only 30 pages. It's not too much information, right? Because right. you don't need all of that in the beginning. Yeah. You just need to know, how can I move forward? How can I run on the trails safely? efficiently um, and in a financially responsible manner. So that's what I created it for. I created it for me. It was the guy that I wish that I had. <laughs> and yeah, right. then I've given it to some friends because I'm always recruiting people <laughs> to come yeah. around the calls with me. And they say, well, I can't, or what do I need? I don't, 
I give them the book, read it, then we'll talk. And they say, yeah. oh, it answered my questions. I'm good. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't take that much to get started. Right. It doesn't. You know, and that's, I think probably a lot of what I'm guessing a lot of what, you know, the tension of the book is, is to kind of remove some of that anxiety of like, Oh, well, you know, I need a, a $500 navigation watch or, right. you know, I need to have the best kind of shoes or I need to have a, you know, a hydration pack or, you know, well, yeah, you might need one, but not if you're gonna run three miles. Exactly. You know? I mean, I have, I, I love my hydration pack. I really do. Um, but we ran eight miles together yesterday. I didn't even take water because it was overcast. It wasn't hot. We weren't going to run that fast. And right. I was like, I don't really need to take my pack today. And you don't have to have that stuff to get started. You really don't. And yeah. so I think it's great that you've written a book that can really help people make that transition and really understand, you know, what is needed and what's not needed just to get started and to really go have an amazing experience out on the trails, you know, mm -hmm. where no one else is around and it really can be such an amazing experience. It's so uplifting. It's such a self-care kind of thing to do. Um, so, you know, I know that it's, uh, you have a busy schedule. I know you have your own show. I know you have a lot to do. And I really appreciate you taking all of your time to come on the show and share all of this with us today. Um, but if anybody's trying to figure out how they can, you know, get out on the trails with other women trail runners in their local community who are not in Amarillo, or, or if they want to reach out to you about the podcast, like what's the best way for them to connect with those people locally and how can they reach out to you? The best way to reach out to me is through my email, melody at sherunstrails.com. And I will also respond to Instagram messages, but not Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, but don't reach out to me there. So, and then if you're looking for, again, for local trail community, I would encourage you to reach, if you're female, to reach out to trailsisters.net. It's a very organized website full of information and resources for the new trail runner. And also I would search Facebook for your, for your city for trail running groups. There is a lot out there. That's another good resource. Okay. Facebook. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, Melody. Well, any final thoughts? No, I really appreciate you having me on the show. This has been a great conversation and I would just encourage all your listeners. If you are running alone, that's great. Don't quit. But I would encourage you really to find your community because there's just such an experience, so much collective wisdom in a running community and it just takes your running to the next level yeah. and for sure try trails. And if you haven't really consider giving the trails a try. So that's great. Okay. So one last question now, not to put you on the spot, but um, Antelope Canyon, right? Amazingly beautiful place. I don't think, I don't know if there's ever been a Patagonia catalog that didn't have a shot from that area in it. You know, it's cause it's just so photogenic. It's so amazing. And you went 55 K doing the Antelope Canyon race, right? So from that whole event, what was the most memorable moment? Like, what is the thing? If you were trying to tell somebody about that race, what's the one thing where you're just like, wow, this was really really worth doing like what was what was it that really strikes you i think it was the moment that i approached the waterhole canyon which has been photographed there is such trail running puts you in a place just when you're in the middle of nature and the raw majesty and the power of nature and you connect in a way that you don't on the pavement and which is what drew me to trail running to begin with but when you take that experience and then run up to waterhole canyon it's that feeling times like a thousand. There's just not words to articulate the experience of being so tiny. And you think you're doing something so big and so powerful, right? Because trail running empowers me. That's why, that's my why. Right. And yet you, you're just like a little tiny ant in the middle of such grandeur and such majesty. It's so humbling. And 
you're so grateful and it really just, it stops you in your tracks because it's right. such a moment that's visceral. And so that moment was worth it. It was worth the training. It was worth the pain. It was worth, it was just so empowering at a level that I had not even still tapped into. And it definitely makes you want to go back and, you know, run all the creative and amazing, you know, you have to pace yourself. Yes. But it, yeah, it's there's just not really a way to articulate it. You have to experience it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Like I often wonder too, like when you do those really long races, you know, we get so exhausted and it can be so emotional in a sense. And I often wonder like, cause you know, one of the ones I was doing here, um, in Marin County, you know, where you come around and there, and I've been on lots of different trails, obviously running, you know, out here in California, but you know, there's just a couple of moments and, and it seems like it's those moments where you are deep in the race when you hit these amazingly beautiful, like open vistas. And I often wonder if it doesn't just appear like 10 times more beautiful than it would be if you just like drove up in your car and looked at it because you are like so depleted and it's such a, you know, an amazing sort of like all encompassing physical and emotional experience to do one of these trail races. Like I often wonder about that, but, um, but it's true. Like they, they, it's incredible how they do set some of these races in these unbelievably picturesque uh, settings. So hopefully, you know, the people listening to this will get to try some of those and, you know, a good start with that would be to check out She Run Trails or your book and, um, and figure out what they need to do to make that little shift to start experiencing some of these things themselves. So again, Melody, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Before you go, I just want to mention one other thing. If you have an overtraining injury, if you think you have an overtraining injury, if you've been recovering from an injury, the most important thing you can do is track your pain. I've written a couple of books on this. I've provided a lot of information on podcasts about this. But the one thing you really need to do more than any other is stay focused and do something specific every day to make sure that you understand whether or not what you're doing is making you better or worse. And that all starts with tracking your pain. So go to the show notes for this episode, download the pain journal. I made it for you. It's the runner's pain journal. It shows you exactly what to track, what you should chart, and then you can use that to see whether or not your condition is actually really improving or if it's not. And if it's not, then you have to do something different. But if it is improving, that helps you understand how you can start ramping up your activity so you can keep running and get back to all of your running goals a whole lot faster. Go check it out. Go to the show notes, stockontherun.com. It's free and you can get it there now. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.